Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. And I want to thank you for joining me as we begin this journey. The focus of our show, Food for Thought, originates from the hearts and the minds of some of the most influential leaders in the food movement across Michigan. These leaders are the CEOs and the directors of the seven regional food banks that serve our entire state. The mission that they have tasked the Food Bank Council with is to create a food-secure state, a place where children, seniors, and everyone in between are free from the toxic stress of hunger, a place where hunger comes off the table and is replaced by access to healthy, nutritious food that leads them to healthy lives. So consider these words with me of St. Francis. Start by doing what is necessary, then what is possible, and soon you'll be doing the impossible. I am convinced that we, are, we have given historically hunger too much credit for being unstoppable. We have allowed its bravado, its size and scope to convince us that we can't beat it. Hunger comes with an intimidation factor, and as a result, we've given hunger the permission to bully us into appeasement. I do not believe hunger is bigger than we are, better than we are, and it is not beyond us to solve. So on this show, Food for Thought, we are changing the conversation about hunger in Michigan. We are not defending what doesn't work, and we are solutions-oriented not problem-focused. We will start by doing what is necessary, what is possible, and before you know it, we will be doing the impossible. What people currently do not perceive is possible. We will, t- we will reach the next level of food security, the impossible task. So let's talk for a second about the difference between hunger and food security. Hunger really refers to the physical pain the discomfort that an individual experiences when they haven't eaten. And what do we do in our country, in our culture, when we're faced with a difficult situation? We deflect it with humor. So now here's what I want you to do. I want everybody who's listening to me to think about the last Snickers commercial that you've seen. Probably Marilyn Monroe standing on a grate And then all of a sudden, she's not Marilyn Monroe. Or somebody gets a little bit hungry, and they're they're grouchy. They're antagonistic. They're they're not themselves. And then they get a Snickers bar, and all of a sudden, they're back to who they are. We make fun of hunger. We diffuse it with, with humor. But food insecurity, that's something different. It describes a wider and a more systemic problem. It is not a, uh, a temporary state or a sensation like hunger, but rather it's a social, cultural, and an economic state. The USDA defines food insecurity as the state of being without reliable access to a sufficient quantity of affordable, nutritious food. And over the next 12 weeks, I, along with my co-host and guests, will discuss the components of the Food Bank Council of Michigan's blueprint to solve hunger. It's how we will go to the next level of food security in our state. 
So let me share with you why I do this work, why I'm investing the one handful of life that I have in this service. I started uh, my career working uh, in lead projects to build the first schools in the Bavuma Islands of Lake Victoria. That's in Uganda and East Africa. I lived there for nine and a half years, traveled the world as a result, working and living, and have seen the effects of poverty and hunger in the lives and faces of the most innocent people possible. And it inspires me to invest my one handful of life in this great mission. While living in Uganda, I dropped by a refugee camp in northern Uganda on a trip, and the head matron, she came by me in a hurry and she tossed a baby to me, a baby girl, literally tossed her to me. I caught her, good hands, and, and I held her for an anxious few moments that seemed like an eternity to me. But then she came back by and took her from me and I knew better than to ask this baby's name because she probably didn't have one. Instead, I asked her the next most culturally relevant question. I asked her, how old is she? And the matron looked at me and said, Mze, guess how old she is. I could hold her literally. I probably could have held her in one of my hands, but I, I held her in two. She wasn't, she wasn't very big at all. And so I guessed and said, oh, I think that she's eight weeks. And the matron just snickered at me and said, no, Mze, she's eight months. I've never gotten over that experience of holding that tiny, malnourished baby girl, and I don't think I was supposed to. So you know what I find baffling is that we can accept hunger in our state and in our country that's affecting children, seniors, and everyone in between as something that is normal and acceptable. And to me, that is unacceptable. I admit that hunger is stubborn, but I do not think that hunger is more obstinate than we are. So this is Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food for Thought on WJR. I want you to come back and be with me, and we'll have guests here to continue this conversation about how we together can solve hunger and create a food-secure Michigan. Welcome back to Food for Thought. Once again, here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. I have uh, Dr. Stephen Borders with me. He is Associate Professor of the School of Nonprofit Administration at Grand Valley State University. And Steve, you are also a board member for Feeding America West Michigan. So welcome That's to the correct. show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Steve, you and I are working on a project together because um, we're both passionate about helping um, our food banks that serve the entire state be more effective in their work. And they're trying and their mission to get more food, healthy, nutritious food to the people who need it. And uh, one of the problems that we've encountered is uh, knowing exactly where those people are. 
and you have a project that you're working with the Food Bank Council of Michigan on that's really, really going to bring these efforts into this century. And so I, I would just wish, if, if you would, take a few minutes and outline the history and what you've been doing with West Michigan, Feeding America West Michigan, and how that's going to play across the entire state and help us all. Sure. So you know, I think that you know, as a board member of Feeding America in West Michigan, we you know, always kind of saw a lot of data and estimates about the number of people who suffer from food insecurity. And so, but, you know, if you think about what the the agencies do and sort of what the big food banks do, it's kind of difficult. So, you know, think about Feeding America West Michigan has about 1,100 agencies uh, that, that obtain food from it, and then they deliver that, you know, on a localized level. And so none of the estimates that we've ever seen about food insecurity exists at these local levels in the actual communities where these churches, the nonprofits, the after-school programs are actually working and serving people with need. And so that was sort of where the project was was born. And so we've been working to try to devise ways in which to identify those communities that are most likely to suffer from food insecurity. Right. So but you, you've developed a couple of ideas. Um, I think in our conversations, you've talked to me about almost 18 different indicators to help you pinpoint where the most need is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. You know, so if you, if you think about you know, food insecurity, and not to get too deep in the weeds, but you know, when, when the USDA, who develops these estimates at the state level, and some estimates at the county level, they use modeling, right? They don't go out and actually talk to everyone and interview everyone that has that suffers from food insecurity. They do some surveys and then create estimates from those. And they're based on these models and sort of what other researchers have done who say that poverty uh, contributes, you know, X percent to the problem of food insecurity. So, well, so there are all these indicators And so they're the usual suspects that you might think about, poverty, educational attainment. So, But there's also a lot of others that are not so well known. Um, And so we've tried to put all of those together and think about how they contribute to the overall problem of food insecurity. So in addition to poverty, educational attainment, we also look at things like housing. And so how much people pay for housing in their particular community. And sort of, you know, one of those big indicators, especially if you think about Michigan and where we were, you know, in the throes of the Great Recession, you know, where housing was, you know, one of the biggest busts, you know, here in Michigan, we're looking at people who who pay too much of their income for housing. And so, you know, typically, you know, we would look at that and say anybody who pays, you know, 30% or more of their gross income for housing you know, is probably stressed, you know, and so those are the things that, that we're looking at. We're also looking at, you know, the proportion of people on food stamps, you know, and so a lot of people would say, well, isn't food stamps designed to solve the problem of food insecurity? Well, it doesn't really, you know, and actually, you know, the literature and other researchers would say that it's a great predictor of people who likely suffer from food insecurity because, what food stamps does is that it gives the typical person, you know, three or four, maybe five days uh, worth of food supplies if you were to go purchase those at the store. 
Right. And so, so it's typically not enough, you know, for to get someone through the entire month. Sure, it helps, but often those are the people who typically rely on food banks and and their local churches and other nonprofits for um, for 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 emergency food services. So the effect of the project that you're working with us on is it, it's really going to inform about where the food is being delivered and how it's being distributed. And that's something that historically we've not really known. Um, some less than 40 years ago when food banking started in this nation, uh, we, had, we had folks who said, wow, there's people who are hurting and they need food and we ought to get some food and we ought to get it to them. And so food banks cropped up and started and they begin to house all this food, and then they looked for community partners to help them distribute that food. And the first people who ever raised their hand to say, yeah, well, hey, we'll do that, was the faith community. And so uh, over the last 35 years, these communities have all changed since that time. And, and, and we're, we're looking as when you talk about your project with us, this mapping project, we're able to take that information and discover entire zip codes where we're not distributing any food, and the food insecurity rate is enormous. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and so, you know, on a radio show, it's kind of hard to talk about mapping and the visualizations that we're doing, but that's a great, great point. And so, you know, again, we're trying to drive you know, the analysis down to these localized communities, even if you think, you know, too about zip codes and lower levels so that the community partners know more about the communities that they serve and, as you said, the communities that they that they don't serve. So what we anticipate in doing this is mapping the entire state of Michigan and at really low geographic areas. And so what we mean by that, there's a thing called census tracts, and census tracts are sort of these um, developed by the U.S. Census Bureau, and and so they're they're relatively homogeneous uh, communities, and so they're you know groups between you know perhaps four to eight thousand people, and so within Michigan, so instead of you know thinking about the eighty three counties that we have, you know, or even the entire state, we'll be able to divide the state up in over two thousand you know localized geographies, and so that gives us a much more granular approach to think about where food is being distributed, where it's not being distributed, and where those people with the greatest needs are likely to be. You know, what's really exciting to me about this, uh, Dr. Borders, is that we're, we're, we're going to move this entire effort into, um, I, I, we're 6, 17 years into this century now, but we're finally going to catch up. And we're going to be distributing food based on uh data and information that we've never had access to before. Yeah, it's a it's a very exciting time, you know, and if you if you think about who typically used this, you know, and if you're listening, you think about why did the credit card company send me this particular piece of mail. So, and it's a thing called market segmentation, and that's really what we're trying to do here. So, instead of sort of the market segmentation, we're looking at sort of community segmentation and dividing communities up sort of based on their needs as well as the resources that are available to them or not available to them and thinking us help about how to prioritize to get services to people who are really in need. So so it's a very uh, interesting idea, and I think, you know, if you were to go to 
and sort of think about, you know, those are the things that the banks have been doing for years, but we're trying to bring this to human services uh, for some of the first time. So it's really, you know, quite exciting uh, to think about the things that we're able to do here. This is Dr. Stephen Borders. He's the Associate Professor at the School of Nonprofit Administration at Grand Valley State University. Steve, I want to thank you for being on the show with us. And more than that, I want to thank you for your efforts to help us create a food-secure Michigan. Well, great. Thank you for having me. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. That's Dr. Steve Borders, everyone. Thank you. This is Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food for Thought on WJR. Come back and be with us. We'll be right here. Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. And in the studio with me now is my uh, guest host, uh, Jerry Brisson. Jerry is the CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank. Jerry, welcome to Food for Thought. Well, thanks, Phil. It's great to see you and lovely to work with you, my friend. Well, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, Jerry, you are a, a definite thought leader in this area of food security that we're talking about here on Food for Thought. And, um, and it was you who helped me understand really about who's hungry in our state. Uh, and we've outlined that, so uh, I guess you put the cookies on the lower shelf for me so I could understand it. So help everybody understand, who do we see as far as groups across the state that are hungry and struggling with food security? So you're going to have, obviously, poverty isn't static, right? Food security isn't static. It's something that changes. People are dynamically trying to make their life better. So even as we talk about groups, we have to be a little careful not to say, once you're in a group, you're in a group. People move through and out and around. But fundamentally, you've got people who started out life poor and kind of stay there. Right. They've missed opportunities. They've they've maybe struggled through the education system. They they might have other challenges that kept them from getting as far as they might have gone. And so whenever they have an emergency in their life, it can be as small as a flat tire. They struggle a little bit to pay for that. And so we see them getting emergency food, right? People right. who who um just start out farther down in order to get up. Yeah, and in any life upset affects them. That's exactly right. Big, small, or otherwise. The things that you and I might, it might happen to us and we wouldn't think about it. We hit a pothole on the street, it puts a dent in our rim. Right. Well, we have ways to take care of that, and we manage to get to work tomorrow. Right. But if you're right on the edge of making ends meet, in fact, if you're not quite making ends meet, if you're needing a few meals a month or maybe 10 or 15 meals a month, that one little incident, which is easy to blow off if you've got some resources, becomes a lot more challenging to deal with. You might miss work, and if you miss enough work, you're going to lose your job. You lose your job, you're starting over again. Right. And so people, the, the challenges that we sometimes take for granted, there's a lot of people that, well, it's not so easy for them to take it for granted. Right. Okay. So that's that's you know, one of the things that we see when we talk about food security and things that affect people who started out life poor and have some additional challenges. 
Then you have people who've done a real good job. They've gotten enough education and training. They get work. And when I started out in this 30 years ago, there was a relationship between employment and food security. In other words, if you were employed, you were food secure. You did not miss any meals in the month. You fed your family. That relationship is gone. There's a lot of people who are employed who Mm. don't have enough to make ends meet. And this is a dynamic that's gotten more prevalent in the last 20 years. You see a lot more of this reality. 47% of people that get emergency food are employed or their household as at least one employed person. Right. So it's this idea, people call it underemployment, uh, but what it really is, it's a transfer of skills. What you used to be able to do as somebody with very basic skills You can't get employed to do those things anymore, so you need more skills. And there's a generation gap there where you have people that don't have those skills today. It's a lot harder for them to get those skills now. And we still have some fluctuation in the job market, so it's not always clear that learning one thing is going to be enough to keep a job for the rest of your career, whatever that might be. Exactly. And that, that I think, is um, a point that, we really haven't thought all the way through yet. So here's folks who uh, we're, we're raised, we come up, we grow up, we have this American dream in our head and in our hearts. It's part of our culture. It's woven into us. We believe in it. And then it doesn't work. Yeah. What amazes me probably more than anything is how often it still works. Right. It still works for so many people. And there are a lot of people, wherever they started out in life, that find enough to make it and to be successful and to feed their family. But not everyone does. And there's still people. And I think of it this way. If you in the course of your life have things happen in a row for you. you. You've had, you know, the kind of encouragement and the kind of opportunity and the kind of education so that you can take advantage of opportunities. You're, you're fairly good looking. You've got some intelligence. You're a friendly person. The, all those things help. Man, if you struggle with just a couple of those, every challenge is harder. It's harder to get the next job. When you lose your job, Getting the next job takes longer, and so instead of finding a job maybe in two months or or three months, it might take you six months or 18 months. Well, that's what we see, and and again, we see more and more of that as the skills required to be employed, especially employed enough to feed your family, grow. Right. So so that you've outlined two groups for us. Do you have a third? Yeah, and, and again, Things happen in life that are unpredictable, things you wouldn't imagine. A lot of times that's a health challenge. Mm -hmm. You get diagnosed. It might be cancer. It might be a heart problem. um, It might be something else. But but something happens in your life that's altering, that's life-altering. And for a period of time, you need help. I'll tell you, another thing that happens is relatives moving in or, or aging parents. Maybe you're making it on your own, but your parents need help and they move in with you. And all of a sudden now you have more mouths to feed that you weren't counting on. These are all circumstances that are unpredictable that happen in your life. And depending on where you start, I mean, most people are living paycheck to paycheck, no matter how big that paycheck is. Right. If that paycheck is pretty small, those unexpected challenges really create a need for emergency food. So those crisis incidents are a, a fairly significant reason why we see food insecure people, even when times are good. 
And so, you know, what we're saying here is in trying to identify but not label people uh, that are struggling with food insecurity across the state is that sometimes they need a they need a hand up, not just a hand out. Well, that's true. And I think the other part of this for me is that whatever reason got somebody to the point of needing emergency or or some kind of supplemental food assistance, whatever got them there to get away from there, to move beyond that, they're going to need some of that help. And taking the stress and the anxiety away, at least on that issue, gives them energy and room, if you will, to consider the other challenges in their life that they have to overcome in order to be successful. Yeah, I'm I'm listening to you, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here because I do believe you to be one of our nation's thought leaders in regard to this epic stubborn problem of hunger Um, and it gets woven into the fabric of poverty and it becomes oh acceptable it's just it's just the way it is it's just and part of our whole pursuit of doing this show on WJR is to change that conversation and to change the conversation Jerry I think we have to humanize the people that are struggling with food insecurity and that's what these three groups that you're doing it's not people who are just who don't care and and it's people who are trying yeah by and large i mean you can always find people that don't care you can find that on every level of society right so i'm not going to try to pretend that's not out there but i will say this one in five people that uh that are getting food assistance are children and about that number again or a little bit less are seniors well at what point do you say They just need to be fed. Come on. Right. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to wind down on this segment of the show, and we're going to come back and talk about this some more. Uh, This is Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food for Thought on WJR. I've got Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO of Gleaners Community Food Bank, with me. You come back and be with us. We'll be right here. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. And in the studio with me is my friend and partner, Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO of Gleaners Community Food Bank, a thought leader in food security, this work that uh, we're mad, passionate, and absolutely dedicated to. Would that be right, Jerry? I would say for sure. And, uh, and I think optimistic. I mean, this is an issue you don't hear that word very often around, but fundamentally, we believe that this problem can be solved, and it can be solved because we all have a vested interest in solving it. So I think we're optimistic about what we can do to make a difference here. I, I'm, I'm with you. Now, in the last segment, we asked you to kind of outline who's hungry in Michigan. And one of the areas, you know, that, that you touched on, and I want us to kind of peel the onions off, uh, layers off this onion a little bit, is really about children. Because 25% of children born in America are born into poverty. And that's the second highest rate of child poverty of any rich world country. That's 35 other countries, and we're the second worst. Now, 
that just doesn't make sense to me. That's unacceptable. And the effects on these innocents, the children, physically, I find both disgusting and inappropriately sad. Now, I want to tie this together to say to this to you, Jerry, that we talk a lot in this state about the next generation of workers. And if you have this amount of children all across our 83 counties who are struggling with food security and not having enough food today, let alone for tomorrow, and not even the right kinds of food, it's really difficult for me not to connect those dots when we're talking about the next generation workforce. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind anyway that when you start to see problems in in uh, grade schools, in middle schools, and in high schools, you start to see kids dropping out, not going to college, um, not getting the kinds of, of training and things they need to be successful in the workforce. If you run that backwards, you're going to find food insecurity across the board there. And food insecurity, again, it's not just about the food, though the food is critically important, obviously. It's also about what it does to your life. When you don't have enough meals coming and you're a child in a house whose parent can't find those meals for you, what environment is that? That's an environment where there's an exceptional amount of stress and sadness and hopelessness. And when you add that to the physical um, development that does not happen because you did not get the right nutrition, you end up with problems that are very expensive and very difficult to solve later. So at the end of the day, not feeding kids is too expensive. And it's so inexpensive to get food to them. And we do it successfully. The schools do it. Um, the And families really do provide the lion's share. Even families in poverty provide the lion's share of the food sure. they need. We're talking about a gap. We're not talking about having to provide all the food for almost anyone. So it's a small gap. It's a reasonable gap from a cost perspective. We just got to put our minds to it and get it done. Well, the effects of childhood hunger stretches as you said, through into adulthood. And it contributes to a workforce, a workforce pool that is less competitive and has lower levels of education and tech skills. And that's what we're faced with. We're not going to be faced with that. We are faced with that in Michigan today. And the Department of Defense has come out and said they're concerned we're not going to have enough youth to fill in the, the numbers that we need for the armed services. And all of this relates to each other, right? It's, it's so many things our future depends on. And if we don't solve this problem, we have bigger problems to solve. Uh, more expensive problems to solve. So I'm, I'm going to climb on my, uh, on my soapbox here for just a minute. This is Dr. Phil Knight. I'm with Jerry Brisson. He's the CEO for Gleaners Community Food Bank. And uh, he's also the chairman of the board for the Food Bank Council of Michigan. So he has a direct specific responsibility here in Detroit, but you also have a statewide perspective as well as the chairman of the board. So let me just climb up here for a minute and get on this soapbox because, Jerry, this is America. This is Michigan. We're not a third world country. Like I told the story in the opening uh, monologue about me holding a baby in the refugee camp who was, I thought was eight weeks and was really eight months. That's not supposed to be here. We're the second most diverse agricultural state in the entire union. And yet people are hungry 
and food insecure. And I find that insane. And here's what I find even more insane is when I talk to people about the possibility of solving hunger, they look at me like I've got two heads. So I think that's part of this this effort, this endeavor, is you and I having this conversation on WJR so that we can begin to change that conversation and talk about what's possible and not just talk about the problem. And I want to say, too, not just dump the problem on somebody else. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't say this is somebody else's problem. You know, it's going to take the community to feed the community. Here's the good news. We know what to do. We know what healthy food looks like. We know where to get it from. We can get it very inexpensively. We know how to get it to schools. We know how to get it to families. We know how to identify the people that need it. We know how to make sure they need it for as long as they need it. You know, there's so many parts of this. Our food bank turns 40 years old this year. This isn't something that we're new at. And the agencies that we work with, many are even older, like Salvation Army or Capuchins, who have been doing this for a long time. Now, we know when we say those names, we think charity. But this is about business, too. This is about making the uh, an inexpensive decision now to prevent an expensive consequence later. It all floats together. Yeah, I, I think what we really want people to do is is come alongside of us in this pursuit on food for thought and the show here and we want them then to engage with our food banks and with their community and get involved and volunteer and help that's absolutely right and you know what a little bit goes a long way a little bit goes a long way time a little bit of time a little bit of thought a little bit of money it can go a long way for gleaners every dollar's three meals for a hungry person and 94 cents of everything we get goes to our mission Right. Right. We're good at this, but everyone who works with us in this is good at it, too. All the agencies that are helping to feed people are good at what they do. And and so there's answers. There's answers. Well, and I would say the same thing for your uh, your compadres, the other six food banks that are serving all across the state. Yeah, they probably do better than me, but I'm not going to give those numbers. Right. Well, (laughs) you know, across the state, there's more than 100, 150,000 people who are volunteering through our network. And they're investing in this mission. And that's one of the encouraging things that I think we can we can do. We can we can use this army of volunteers to create both the political and the personal will that we all need to develop in order to be to solve hunger in our state. Absolutely right. And there's a food bank that covers every single county in Michigan. So one of us covers you. Right, and we're helping you in your community locally to solve this problem wherever you are. Well, you're absolutely right. And so I think what we want to do to folks who are listening to Food for Thought here on WJR is that if you're interested in helping us solve this big challenge, then Food for Thought is the show that you need and we want you to continue to listen to. And we want you to listen to WJR and Food for Thought. And and we're going to discuss and we're going to plan and we're going to create. And that's what we're going to do here with this show. And there is a place for you who's listening to this show with Jerry and I. There's a place for you to serve in this great mission of food security and creating that for Michigan. So we want you to stay tuned to the end of the segment. We're going to uh, talk to you at the end of the show. We're going to give you a way that you can help. I want you to stay tuned because you and I both know nothing of significance ever happens alone. You've got to have, you said it a minute ago, it's going to take the community to feed the community. 
Folks, we're, we're so excited that you're listening to us here on WJR. This is Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson is in the studio with me. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we'll be right back. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, thanks for being here, and especially thanks for your life's work and for your insight today. Well, thank you too, Phil. It's uh, It's been a pleasure to be here. We've talked about some pretty exciting and interesting things. If I were going to say one important thing about this, it's you can make a difference. And I think it's one of the things that people get confused about most often is they think there's no way to solve this. There's no way to make a difference. But there's lots of ways to make a difference. And there's a way to solve this permanently. I really do believe it. So over the course of these shows, I know we're going to get there, and right. I'm excited to do it with you. Well, we want people to come alongside of us, and we want them to join us on this journey as, uh, as we endeavor on Food for Thought to create uh, a food-secure state. So hunger does come off the table, and it's replaced by hope, and it's replaced by uh, uh, an opportunity, and that people are able to uh, have and live the best life they can. Here's what I know, Jerry. Uh, as we close our first show here on Food for Thought, that nothing of significance ever happens or is accomplished alone because one is too small of a number to multiply. And so I'm going to ask everyone who's listening here at WJR on Food for Thought to make sure that you come alongside of us. Stay with us. Join us in this pursuit to create a food-secure Michigan. And thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and you've been listening to Food for Thought on WJR. Food for Thought has been presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.